Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? Skipping down to verse 66, the Bible says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. For a little while tonight, this subject matter, uh, we offend all. But for tonight's lesson in particular, I'd like to speak along this line, God's sovereignty and Satan's devices. God's sovereignty and Satan's devices. Hallelujah. You join me right now in prayer. The Lord would touch us afresh here on this Wednesday night Bible study. Father, Lord, I come to you tonight. Lord, we need you, Jesus. God, let your words speak, God, into our lives, into our hearts. God, I pray, oh Lord, I need you tonight, God. Touch me, oh Lord, my mind, heart, body, and soul. God, to be able, Lord Jesus, to convey, Lord Jesus, your word here this evening. I pray, O oh Lord, each and every hearer, Lord God, that their life, God, could be benefited by your word as well. God, we'll thank you and we'll praise you, Jesus, for, God, what you accomplish in our individual lives. God, and we'll give you all the glory and the praise for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. And the church say, amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord. Amen. Last week we took uh, the road of again viewing a little bit how people can be offended by people and uh, zeroed in on the fact how uh, people can be offended by churches and the possibilities of all of that happening uh, is true and it happens that we're offended by people some uh, get offended by churches but there is also a chance among all of that uh, for us to become offended by God amen or if you will, in the New Testament, we've seen oft times happen that people were offended by Jesus Christ as he walked upon uh, this earth. And so in reality, though, and this is hard to believe, but it is the case, offenses toward men don't really come too much different whenever they're offenses that are toward God or they feel offended toward God. Uh, whenever Jesus acted or he spoke, in a manner that people did not expect him to act or did not expect him to speak, he offended them uh, because they had a certain level of expectation from Jesus. And in our lives today, we have, uh, I believe, sometimes unspoken and unwritten certain expectations from God that uh, concerning certain of our circumstances and situations that uh, God should act in this way. And whenever he doesn't meet that expectation, sometimes we have a, a cross attitude against the Lord. As, you know, all it took in Jesus' day, just have him heal a few people on the Sabbath day. And he was going to offend some people. 
because he would be acting in a way that they would not expect since the law uh, said that you know such things of this manner maybe should not uh, happen or be done no work to be done on the sabbath uh, but let him uh, do a few miracles any other day of the week and feed the multitudes and man the people are rallying around that yeah I'll go Jesus everything's great but then also turn the tables and uh, allow him to make a few even demands of them and again people become offended whether Jesus would do so and that's exactly what's happening in John chapter number 6 and I alluded to this a few services back but uh, Jesus begins John 6 by feeding the multitudes and, and uh, the dispersion of the fishes and of the bread and everybody's comfortable with that no one had a problem with that I mean the people were there they were hungered and they needed sustenance for their bodies and so whenever Jesus did uh, what he, whenever he began to perform that miracle everybody was comfortable with that and then they came a little later and they began to seek him uh, or more importantly they came to seek what he had done for them again uh, wanting food wanting uh, another miracle a uh, miracle meal so to speak amen to be performed to them and at that time though rather than giving them necessarily what they may have been expecting again uh, he began to talk to them about the bread from heaven how he was the bread of life Amen. And as he began to warn them uh, in the climax of this sermon that he's speaking to them, he warned them with these words. In essence, and I'm just paraphrasing here, he basically said to them, he said, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You have no life in you. The climax of his sermon. In other words, he was saying, if you want life, he was saying it's in me and nowhere else. There's no other source. And so since they came to that gathering looking for another miracle of bread and fishes, looking for another miracle of that, but instead they got a sermon about being the bread of heaven or the bread of life and how there is no other life except through Jesus Christ whenever he did not do what they had expected him to do and instead seemingly made a little demand of them because they couldn't have life unless they went through him. As a result, guess what happens? He has a bunch of people that's offended. Amen. As a matter of fact, through John 6, there are several reactions to the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture. If you were to read all of John 6, you'll come to find out that there were some in John 6 that were seeking Jesus. The Bible uh, proclaims or portrays them as seeking Jesus. At another portion of the Scripture of John 6, it describes a group or a sector of people that were murmuring at Jesus. So we have some seeking him. We have others that are murmuring at him. And then finally, there is a group of people in John 6 that's departing from Jesus. So we have a myriad of reactions to the Lord. Whenever John chapter 6 opens, and I stated this again in the service not long ago had went by, he had over 5,000 people that were listening to him, that was following him, listened to his teaching, what he had to say. But whenever this chapter closes, he has 12 men that are right there in the circle that's left out of the 5,000. And one of the 12 of those is going to be one that's going to betray him. One of the 12 of those is going to be one that's going to deny him. And finally, in the end, all of them will initially forsake him and flee from him. Amen. In the end of the matter. Amen. So it is quite possible, and not just quite possible, but it does happen regularly in the lives of people, Christian or non-Christian, that we become at times offended at God. 
For instance, last week, if you remember the stories of Joseph and David that we hit on just a little bit and talked about some of the things that they went through and if there was ever some people that could have been offended, they could have been offended. Uh, If there was anybody that could have been offended, they could have and particularly they could have been offended at God. Why? Because we understood that in those circumstances that they went through, Joseph and his slavery pit, Uh, being lied on, all those experiences. David and him being a a fugitive and a vagabond from uh, Saul, constantly fleeing for his life for years. They they, they could have been offended at God because in essence, God does still have all power, right? Right? And so uh, the reasoning of humanity sometimes is David and Joseph could have said, God, you could have prevented this. You have all power. But God didn't prevent any of it. They could have become offended at God and blamed God for all of these things and got cross with God and offended God because God, you could have prevented this. Now, tonight I want to talk about God's sovereignty because we acknowledge the sovereignty or the dominion and the power of God whenever we admit at times, you know what, God can change this circumstance. Because we're talking about God's power, His authority, His ability. God God can change this circumstance. So we acknowledge His sovereignty whenever we say, man, you know, God can change this circumstance. He has the power, the dominion, the authority to change this circumstance. We acknowledge the sovereignty of God. But on the same token, we hold the sovereignty, that same power, dominion, and authority. We hold that at distance or aloof, if you will, at times when we ridicule God for allowing something that we perceive as negative to take place in our life. God can do something about this. He has dominion, power, and authority. He's sovereign. He can do it. And if He is sovereign, He has power, dominion, and authority, and there's nobody else that rules Him. Amen. He self-ruled, does everything after the counsel of his own will, then if he doesn't do something, that's his, that's his right. Now, I, we, I know we don't like to talk about that, but it's true. We'll acknowledge it whenever we say he can do something about it, but will we still acknowledge his sovereignty whenever he exercises his sovereignty and doesn't do anything about it? Amen. It's in, it's in, from my understanding as being a human, it's in those moments that if I'm ever going to be offended at God, it'll be in the moments whenever I knew he was all-powerful, almighty, had dominion, he had the ability to do so, but he refrained from doing so, but that's still the sovereignty of God. Amen. And so sometimes our offense toward God happens whenever we say, this is the terminology sometimes that we use, that God is absent. You ever felt like God was absent in a circumstance, in a situation, in a dealing or happening of life? God is absent. Sometimes we get offended at God when we perceive that God is absent in a situation or a circumstance. And if there was ever a character that fought this in New Testament Scripture, I believe John the Baptist did. Amen. Uh, John the Baptist fought this idea of offense toward God because God seemed to be absent absent for John the Bible says in Luke chapter number 7 and verse number 20 starting uh, these verses of scripture when the men were come unto him this is some of John's disciples 
coming to him. They said, John the Baptist, or to, to Jesus rather, some of the disciples of John the Baptist going to Jesus. They said, John the Baptist hath sent us unto thee, speaking of Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? John the Baptist right now is presently in prison. He's incarcerated. Uh, his ministry outside of, of out in the desert places has come to a halt. He's now in prison. And he said, I'm going to send my disciples. And I want you guys to ask this man that's going around uh, doing some of these things. Or is he the one? Is he, is he the Messiah that was to come? Or do, do we look for another? John is placed in a position that he's starting to have a little bit of doubt that's flowing through his mind. And he just needs some type of reassurance. And the Bible says in verse 21, in that same hour, Jesus cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And of many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said to them, go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard and how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor, the gospel is preached. And verse 23, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. John the Baptist, the great forerunner of Jesus Christ, he's in prison, he's warring with doubt, he's been the forerunner. I mean, it was, it was prophesied. Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament, and so was John. But John was going to come forth as the forerunner. So we're not talking about, you know, somebody that doesn't have some type of importance in Scripture and with Jesus Christ. He's, John has come, and John's taken that role of decreasing so that Christ could increase. He's lived a desert life for his mission, amen, for the Lord. Uh, by all appearances through Scripture, we don't see per se where he ever had a wife or he was married. He's doing everything for the cause of Christ. He sowed out to this coming Messiah that's to come that's more worthy than he is that his shoe latch he cannot even undo he's given his whole self to this and Jesus sends word back to this incarcerated man that's given so much of himself for the cause of Christ and tells him you tell them hey those that are those that are blind are seeing those that are lame are walking those that are deaf are hearing the, the lepers are being cleansed the dead are being raised the gospel's being preached uh, to the poor go, go that disciples of John go back and tell him all of these things that were going on which was nothing more but fulfillment of old Isaiah scripture said it would happen man that's powerful that's great we would we would picture in our minds man John must be jumping in his cell and rejoicing over everything that's happening this is a fulfillment of scripture but John's given him his life for this Christ he sacrificed much for this Christ and he's not finding himself loose still preaching the gospel he's finding himself incarcerated in prison and Jesus is exercising power to open blind eyes and Jesus is exercising power to allow the lame to walk He's raising the dead, but he is seemingly, can I speak in the term of John, he seemingly have left me incarcerated in prison. God's sovereignty healed the blind eyes. God's sovereignty, dead, get up. God's sovereignty, the deaf, hear. God's sovereignty, John stays in prison without rescue. Hence, the same power that the Lord exercised for all those, he could have released John from prison. He could have done it. He's sovereign. He had the power, the dominion, 
that to John after the list of everything that he was doing and was going on. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus was doing all these things. Perhaps a very major supporter of Jesus, John the Baptist, has given his life for the Lord and Christ. But at this moment in prison, he's vulnerable because John senses Jesus is absent. And Jesus' postscript, blessed is he that is not offended in me, he's saying, John, don't be offended by my not doing and by my doing because it's all captured in my sovereignty. Let me state it like this. And this, this I'm not telling you, well, you know, just get over it. <laughs> it's not easy to bear. But his discerned absence is just as sovereign as his presence. Amen. So we'll get offended at God sometimes. We believe God owes us something. John could have got out the list. I spent my life in the desert to become at a right time to be a herolder for you. I've decreased. I've had disciples too, but I've decreased and so you might increase. Uh-huh. I've lived the life. I've been ridiculed. Yeah, he was. John the Baptist. I've been ridiculed and here I am now. You know, Lord... You know, scratch backs here. Huh. Uh, you, shouldn't you be getting me up out of prison here? I believe sometimes we get offended at God because we believe God owes us something. Mm-hmm. When I prayed the things that we have done for him, how we've served him, how we've been faithful in his presence. Say, look, God, we got our little storybook. Look, God, look, God, look, God. And when he doesn't answer, when he doesn't meet our expectation then we begin to get offended at God. You know, whenever I want to get out my book, everything I've done for him, it's those moments that I tend to forget to open up his storybook and really read how much he's already done for me. Amen. So the Lord's ways can be very offensive at times. John the Baptist could have been offended by God's so-called absence. So we can be offended by what we would perceive to be the absence of God. David in his lifetime had a moment that he seemed to be somewhat offended by God's severity, how severe God was. David's going to the house of Abinadab to get the Ark of the Covenant. That's been a long time from Jerusalem doing what he believed to be right to get God's presence back to Jerusalem. And you, if anybody's read the Bible, you understand the story in 2 Samuel 6 that they did put it on a new cart and that was improper, but they were going to get it back to Jerusalem as they were going. They came by a certain threshing floor and Uzzah or Uzzah, however you wish to pronounce it, put forth his hand and touched the ark and boom, on the spot, he dies. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6 and 8, and David was displeased. Because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was displeased with God because of his severity. And so we, we, we can become offended at God because of his absence or sometimes we can be uh, offended at God because he's so severe in certain matters in our life. 
But this is how the this is how the cookie crumbles and the ball bounces. That's not the so well. Yeah, rightfully so. God's severe. You should you know be upset over something like that. Take offense. Well, to to flip that coin over, the prophet Jonah was offended not because of God's severity, but because of God's mercy. The Bible says in Jonah 4, verses 1 through 3, if you remember Jonah, the prophet of the Lord was told to go to Nineveh, preach to the people. If you don't turn things around, if you don't repent, God is destroying this place. You need to do something about it. He ran from it the first time. The second time he went back, he delivered the message. You know what Jonah was bouncing on? They're not going to do it. God's going to destroy him. He's going to get to get to get to get to but what happened was people put on their sackcloth and their ashes. There was fasting. The people began to repent. And God withstood his hand from destroying them. And this is Jonah's response. Jonah 4 verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. John the Baptist could have been offended because of his absence. David was offended because of his severity. But the prophet Jonah is offended because of God's mercy. Amen. Martha is offended because of Christ's delay. If you had not been here, John eleven twenty one, thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Took issue with the Lord because he had delayed. Folks, I see very easily, even in my own life, times that I've had a, a wrong spirit with God because he was absent when I expected him to be present. That I've had a wrong attitude with God because he didn't show up when I wanted him to show up. Or that he was merciful in a situation that I thought judgment should have been exercised. Or that he exercised judgment in a situation that I thought he should have been merciful. Amen. So we can take offense with people, with churches, and with God. Whenever Job could have been borderline offended, if you will, at God, God set Job in his place. If you read chapters 38 and 39, God is going through a long list talking to Job. He, Job has said a lot. All the comfortless friends have said their say. But God speaks up and he's going through a long list in chapters 38 and 39. And he is just, he is just shooting question after question after question to Job. He's asking such questions like to Job, Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days? Job, have you ever done that? Job, who can number the clouds in wisdom? Job, hast thou given the horse strength? Have you done that, Job? And you got the ability to do that. Job, doth the eagle mount up at thy command? You got the ability. What's Job getting at? His sovereignty, his dominion, his power. 
And whenever Job heard all these different sayings and all these different words, although he had went through what he had went through and it seemed like God was absent or God wasn't showing up on time or God was being more severe than what he should have been being, uh, been doing. Job 40 and verse 1 through 4, when all this is said, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contended with the Almighty, because that's what Job had been doing, shall he that contended with the Almighty instruct him? You've been arguing against me, Job, like, God, why are you doing this? You shouldn't have done this. You should have just prevented the day of my birth and all this stuff. He said, should the one that contends with the Almighty instruct him? You're going to instruct me? Where were you when I created everything? Where were you when I established everything? He that reproveth God, he said, let him answer. Job, I want you to answer for yourself now. And then, this is wise words right here, look, people. And then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Layman's terms, I'll shut up now, God. Uh I'll shut up now, God. Take it or leave it. You can take or pick up offenses with God. But here's the thing different than being offended with people or being offended with church. Your God's never in the wrong. You're not going to lay anything on him. If he was absent, he's sovereign. He can be absent. If he delayed, that's all within the care of his own counsel. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes he has purposes in it that I don't see right now. And I may, on other matters, never understand. I've told you all a thousand times, there's a lot of things just in the short 35 years of my life that's come down the pike that I haven't understood. There's something I try to entrust my mind and heart with and back to the Lord to reassure him as though he needs reassuring. But I tell myself and him this oftentimes whenever I'm in those points that I don't understand. I tell him, you've heard me say this. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I don't know why you're not here, okay? But I trust you. I don't know why you haven't showed up yet, but I trust you. I don't know why you're being so hard, but I trust you. I don't know why you're being so easy, but I trust trust you amen that's God's sovereignty there's another thing this this evening that's on on the playbook besides the sovereignty of God in thinking of all these different offenses with people with churches and with God we spoke about this before but I want you to understand Satan's devices is in this playbook as well and one of the major consequences, and we, we, we've talked on this at different times, but I'm going to talk on it again just for a little bit here this evening. One of the major consequences of refusing to let go of offenses is what? Unforgiveness. And not only does our adversary want us to take offense, but he doesn't want us to let go of offense either. Now, this statement I'm about to make is a very bold statement, but I'll clarify it with Scripture, okay? And here is the statement. Unforgiveness is a satanic device. Unforgiveness is a satanic device. And this is my Scripture. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. You have heard this quoted and used in preaching various times. Lest Satan should get advantage of us, For we are not ignorant of his devices. That thing about how we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices, that has been used 
in preaching and teaching time and time again. We're not ignorant of the devil's devices. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. But listen to me now. It's important to look the context in which a scripture is set in because this scripture is set in a context of verses where it's dealing with spirits of unforgiveness. You read the entirety of 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 and this verse is planted right in the midst of it dealing with spirits of unforgiveness. There are people in that chapter that are burdening or punishing other people that the Bible calls with overmuch sorrow. It's spoken of in that chapter rather than extending forgiveness to them. Amen. And so, and also within this chapter, there's times it seems like of grief that's being caused by another or injustice that has been righted or not righted by another. And so in all this, the, the, the apostle is telling each individual that we got to confirm our love one to another and that whenever you leave that undone, and you don't confirm your love one to another. Remember that agape, unconditional love of God. When you do not confirm that love to one another, that provides a device that the enemy can use against all parties involved, the offender and the offended, and that is spirits of unforgiveness. The Bible says early on in the same chapter of 2 Corinthians 2, Look at verse number 7. The Bible states, So that contrary wise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with, that's the reference I made, up with overmuch sorrow. For that matter, verse number 10, the verse that proceeds right before uh, that we know Satan's devices, uh, uses one form or another of the word forgive five times, let alone right in verse number 10. It's dealing with spirits of unforgiveness because spirits of unforgiveness are devices of Satan. Unforgiveness is a satanic device. Being hurt may hurt us. I mean, you know, being wrong, let me say it like being wronged may hurt us. But taking offense and holding on to offense will hurt you more than the original wound. Hurt you more than the original wound. The Bible says in Mark 11 and verse 26, something that we oftentimes go to, but it says, but if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. In other words, go on, take offense. Hold on to it for a long time. Don't practice forgiveness. And then boom, it won't be long you'll find yourself outside of the umbrella of his forgiveness. If there's ever a satanic device, 2 Corinthians 2 undoubtedly tells us, and Mark 11 reaffirms that it is a spirit of unforgiveness. You know what's grand? You know, it's hard to think, or if you're like the bird outside of the scenario in the picture, you know, sometimes an offender can go on with their life like nothing has happened. And isn't it amazing, though, those who have picked up the offense, though, then are crippled and stymied in their life because they chose to take up the offense? Their life is crippled because they took up the offense and the one who originally did the offending, they're going on with life. Amen. We look at the story of the parable whenever it speaks of the unforgiving servant. 
Remember the man that had much forgiven to him and he was given a grand honor, but then he wouldn't be forgiving to the one that was under him. He was unforgiven, you remember that. And so it was told on him about how he did not forgive another that was in a similar situation and case. The Bible says that that unforgiving servant was turned over to torture. Listen, he was turned over to torture. There was an agony, if you will, of body, an agony of mind because he had a spirit of unforgiveness. A satanic device turned over to torture. Uh, in real medicine today, real medicine, medical doctors and scientists have linked unforgiveness and bitterness, not in all cases, but in some cases, have linked unforgiveness and bitterness with certain diseases such as arthritis and cancer. Many cases of mental sicknesses are tied to bitter unforgiveness. Amen. Why can't, you, why can't we forgive someone? Sometimes the common response is, well, they haven't apologized. And the moment there is a reason, that denotes a condition. I'm not forgiving because the condition. They didn't apologize. And that takes us back to a few weeks ago and relates back to the love of many, the agape love. The unconditional love, not asking for in return, non-performance. You know, I've performed for this love. Waxing cold because I'm not offering forgiveness because the condition. When the condition is set, it shows a lack of the unconditional love. Because we choose to forgive people. You know, we, we, we state and we teach, you know, how true love isn't a feeling, it's a choice. True forgiveness isn't a feeling either. It's a choice. The statement, well, I can't forgive is really, I won't forgive. It's a choice. Amen. We use can't because that, for us, offers a cop-out. We feel better about not doing it if it seems to be more on our end an impossibility. It's not impossibility. It's just a matter of choice. We won't forgive. Don't want to make that choice to forgive. We want them to have, there has to be some type of retribution. They got to make payment. Amen. I know this is a different ground, isn't it? We don't like wading through these waters. But take, for instance, if Jesus was waiting on us to apologize, he had never forgiven from the cross. Now, I won't hold you much longer. I'll go and have you stand. But if he was waiting for an apology from humanity there never been forgiveness that came forth from the cross consider if you will Luke 23 and verse 34 then said Jesus Luke 23 verse 34 the malefactors are there one on the left one on the right crucifixion is in progress here it's happened then said Jesus father forgive them for they know not what they do and they parted his raiment and cast lots. Listen to me very carefully in just a few of these last statements here. In pondering on this, Jesus is on the cross, Brother Mason. He's asking, he's giving, rather, not asking, but he's giving forgiveness to those who put him there. My mind very quickly then goes to the times that he admonished his disciples, and those that were to follow him. He told them, that you need to take up your cross daily 
Could it be, just reason with me here for a moment, one of the reasons why he constantly admonished disciples and followers that they must take up their cross daily is because the cross was a platform from which forgiveness flowed. The cross was a platform from which forgiveness flowed. And he says, so I need you to take up that cross daily. One of the reasons why, so that you'll have a forgiving spirit in your life. So that when you're done wrong by people, and maybe interpret as done wrong by the church, and maybe you even have an eye that's toward me of offense, that you'll give a spirit of forgiveness in that moment. Reverend Elias Lamone said this. He said, if someone has offended you, he said, start sowing forgiveness. He says, you may need some yourself someday. I'll close with this verse of Scripture. Again, another verse of Scripture, just speaking along those lines. Satan's device of unforgiveness. Colossians 3.13, my last verse, and then I'll pray here this evening. The Bible says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Forbearing one another, tolerating, tolerating one another. Why in the world is this being spoken? Because if we can do some more forbearing, we'll have, we'll have less forgiving to do. Amen. If we bow our heads in this place tonight, Brother Mason, you come. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.